Hallelujah. Let's welcome our lead pastor, Pastor Joe, to the stage. Thank you, Raina. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks. So exciting to see you all here tonight. Um, I'm going to do my best to stay on my notes. Um, thanks for that vote of confidence. Um, because we do have our worship night next, next week, so, and we're not going to have any midweek service, so we've got to make sure we finish this tonight. Um, amen? amen? How many of you are in faith with me that we can finish this tonight? Amen. Just, a, just a few of you. Just a few of you. How many believe with me that we're going to finish this tonight? Amen. Now, if the Lord wants to pick up on this after the holiday, we'll do that. All right. We've uh, closed out the Israel donations that we were taking, the aid for Israel. Okay. Um, <laughs> you guys are ridiculous. You're so generous. We, our total is $31,000. $59.51. Amazing. So this is going to Daystar Network, a Christian network, and they are going to distribute it to the organizations that they're working in close contact with in Israel um, to help the families of those that have been devastated, those that have lost their homes. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there's a, the last count that I heard, it was over 120,000 refugees in southern Israel that need, were displaced from the battle area and are spread out all over the country. And um, we're going to do our best to help them as much as possible. Amen? Amen. Amen. So um, if you wanted to give and you didn't make it in this offering, our suggestion is for you to go online directly to the Daystar Network website and you can give personally right to them. Remember, we're sending the check out. Barbara was in contact with them this afternoon, and uh, we'll be sending the check out in the next day or so. $31,000. You don't understand, what, what, as a pastor, what that feels like to know that you have a congregation that is generous and just hears from the Holy Spirit and just is not afraid to, to pull out your wallet and and whatever else. It's just amazing. It's an amazing feeling. Uh, I thank God for you all. Amen? Amen. Psalm 78, verse 40. I'm going to do a very quick review because I know there's some of you that were not here when we started this one night message four weeks ago. <laughs> Psalm 78, 40. How often they, now the they is, they're talking about here is the Israelites in the wilderness. You remember the story? Okay, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for, for, well, they were in Egypt for 430 years. We're not 100% sure how many hundreds of those years they were slaves, but we're probably very secure that probably about 200 to 250 years of that time in Egypt was slavery, okay? Uh, you remember the story of Joseph and his brothers, and that's how they ended up in Egypt and, and all that, and then Joseph dies, and then there's another pharaoh that comes on the scene, and history supports this, that there was... The end of that dynasty took place and they were invaded from southern Egypt and another pharaoh came in place that had no idea who the Israelites were, had no idea who Joseph was. And so that's when the enslavement begins. Okay, so now God rescues them. He sends Moses to deliver. They come, you know, the whole bit, Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, the whole thing. Okay. Now, their journey 
that was supposed to take 11 days took 40 years, okay? Um, that wasn't God's plan. That was just how it worked out, okay? He was protecting them, though. He didn't want to take them right out of slavery into uh, having to fight for their lives because it takes time to get rid of a slave mentality. Are you listening to me? That's not just applying back then. It applies to us today. When we come out, especially those that maybe have gotten trapped in addictions and are in recovery, it takes time to go from thinking like an addict to thinking like uh, a normal individual who's got responsibilities and things like that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Amen. Just one or two people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay, it takes time. You've got to get rid of that, men that mentality of an addict. Well, the Israelites needed time to get rid of the mentality of being a slave. And so uh, he let they took their time. But at one point in their travels in the wilderness, they began to forget what God has done. Has that ever happened to anybody in here? Yes. They began to forget the miracles. They began to forget what God had did in Egypt. They began to forget the demonstrations of power that they saw. And so they began to doubt God. And so that's the subject of Psalm 78. How often they, the Israelites, provoked him, God, in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Let's find out how they did that. Yes, again and again, they tempted God. Now read this real loud with me. And they and limited the Holy One of Israel. You understand what we're talking about here. It is literally possible for us to limit God and what he wants to do in our lives and through our lives. Okay? They say, well, God is almighty. He is almighty. Okay? And there's only one entity in the universe that can limit him, and it's us. Yeah. And they limited God being able to move through them. They limited God being able to provide for them, rescue them, give them victory. Uh, they limited him. He wanted to do a whole lot more with them in that generation. Okay, we know this is true because the scriptures tell us that every one of those two and a half million Israelites that left Egypt, out of all of those two and a half million, only two got to see the promise. It wasn't even Moses. It was Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, those are the only two out of the original ones that left Egypt that got to literally step into the promised land because they were the only ones that did not limit God. They allowed God to move through them. They allowed God to work through them. They were the ones that were ready to conquer the promised land. So it was the, an entire generation limited God and they forfeited their ability to see their promised land. Uh, church, do you know how many people, how many Christians, they come to know Christ. They, their spirit comes alive. They're born again. But they never fulfill the plan of God for their lives. They go to the grave completely unfulfilled. Why? Because through doubt and unbelief, through distrust, through not having any confidence in God, not trusting for his promises, they limit God in their lives and go to the grave completely unfulfilled. Now, that's a shame. We don't want that to happen to us, right? No. We're going to say this with me. I'm going to fulfill God's plan for my life. Amen. Amen. So, okay, we're talking about this, so let's go real quick. Uh, by limiting God, we ultimately limit ourselves. And what they did was, number one, they doubted him. Number two, they distrusted his intentions. Be careful that you don't fall into that trap of distrusting God's intentions. Okay? Okay. Uh, Jesus made a very clear distinction between what comes from God and what comes from the devil. Oh, <laughs> devil. 
No such thing. He succeeded in your life. He is the master of deception, and the greatest deception that he has hoisted on mankind and got mankind to believe is that he doesn't exist. Because as long as you think he doesn't exist, every time something goes wrong in your life, every time tragedy comes, sickness comes, calamity comes, you're going to say, why did God do this to me? And the devil goes, <laughs> Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, you know where I'm going with this. Ready, one, two, three. The thief comes only to rob, kill, and destroy. He went on to say, I have come that they, us, might have life and have it more abundantly. Very clear distinction. No, there's no way, to, well, you never know what's going, no, it's very clear. He said, if whatever is coming to your life is coming to rob, to kill, and to destroy you, it comes from the enemy of your soul. If it comes to bring life and that more abundantly, it is coming from the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Stop this thing. Stop saying stupid stuff like, well, you know, you got to take the good with the bad from God. No, the Bible doesn't say that. You said that. You, you getting this? He is good. We can't say God is good out of one side of our mouth and then blame him for calamity when it comes. He doesn't have calamity. Okay? If, we, if God had calamity, we would have seen calamity in the Garden of Eden. If God had sickness and disease to put on someone, we would have seen it in the Garden of Eden. If God was going to be the author of poverty and lack, we would see poverty and lack in the Garden of Eden. What we see in the Garden of Eden before sin came in this world is a state of perfection, provision, peace, safety, warm temperatures. I had a debate, I'm not going to get off on this, I had a debate many years ago with somebody who was a, one of our volunteers many, many years ago. She loved snow. I said, snow's a curse. How could you say that? Because it's not in the garden. How do you know it was in the garden? They were naked. How do you have snow and naked in the same environment? God loves warm weather. So, so pray. Pray that we do not have a harsh winter because your pastor hates cold weather and hates snow. You want to see snow? Get in your car, take a six-hour ride north. We moved to the shore years ago because they told us it doesn't snow down the shore. First, the first year we were down here, we got two snowstorms back to back. Judges chapter 6, let's go real quick. Judges chapter 6. Now the angel of the Lord. Now who's the angel of the Lord? The angel, see that word angel is capitalized. Who is the angel of the Lord? Jesus. Jesus is in the Old Testament? Yes, Jesus. This is pre-incarnate. This is before Bethlehem. Because Jesus Christ is eternal, yes? And, and, and Hebrews 13 says he's the same yesterday today and forever. He is outside of time and space, so he can jump in whenever he wants, okay? Now, they didn't know it was Jesus, so they, they entitled him the angel of the Lord. Came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is an oak tree at Oprah, uh, which belonged to that guy and everybody else. While his son, his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press. Remember we talked about this? Can't go into a lot of detail. 
Only crazy people or cowards thresh wheat in a wine press because when you're threshing wheat, you have to throw the wheat up into the air so that the husks and the straw and everything get blown away by the wind. Well, if you're in a wine press, the wine press has a wall around it, usually sometimes like this, the wind can hit that. So it tells us immediately that this man, Gideon, is a coward. He's trying to hide the wheat because the Midianites had a habit of, and this went on for many years, that they would wait for harvest season. The Midianites were not Jews. The Midianites were not Israelites. They were an outside tribe, and they would wait for the harvest time, and as soon as the harvest came in, they would sweep down on Israel and rob everything from them. So we can understand why Gideon would want to hide this wheat in the wine press. Okay, next verse. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, so Jesus appears, uh, the Lord, now that's capitalized because it's the Hebrew word Adonai, which is not sir, it's Lord. It's Lord God. Adonai Eloheinu is our God, our Lord, the Lord is our God. So this is done, because sometimes uh, scriptures will translate that word, when you see Lord, it's sir. Like if I was to approach somebody that I don't know, if I'm, I would call the person sir. Okay, but it doesn't necessarily mean it has divine nature. But when you see the word Adonai, when you see that word, that is divine. Okay, so, and the angel of the Lord uh, appeared to him and said to him, he's saying, this is what Jesus said to the man who's a coward and hiding in the wine press. You want to read it out loud with me? The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Because what does Jesus do? He never calls you by what you are. He calls you by what you can be. I'll say it again. He never calls you by what you're stuck in. He never calls you by your sin. He never calls you by your behavior. He never calls you what you are in the natural. He always points you to the future. He said to Abram, I'm changing your name to Abraham because Abraham is father. Abraham is father of many nations. But it wasn't until 25 years later that he actually had a son. So God speaks to us that way, right? Now, what's, what's, what's being revealed here now is Jesus or God's intention for Gideon. He's not to be a coward in the wine press. He's to be a mighty man of bravery. Next verse. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why all has this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of Midianites. So imagine Jesus chuckling. Because here he is, the Lord, Adonai, standing in front of him, and he's telling the Lord that the Lord has forsaken him. How could the Lord forsake him if the Lord's standing right in front of him? Okay, Uh, so what are we talking about here? Go back for a minute. Immediately, as Gideon is presented with the challenge that's going to bring him into his potential for the future, the first thing Gideon does is start making excuses. Be careful of that. Be careful of that. Okay, next verse. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. What might? And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Here's the might. Here's the might. Have I not sent you? Moses is standing in front of the burning bush, and he's completely befuddled. He's like overwhelmed. And he says to, to, to the angel of the Lord, Jesus, appearing in the burning bush, when I go back to Egypt, and they tell me, and I tell them, look, I'm here to rescue you and to bring you out from Pharaoh, they're going to ask me, who sent you? And what did God say? Tell them 
I am that I am has sent you. That's the same person that's standing in front of Gideon right now. In other words, I'm speaking to you. I am calling you a man of valor. I am telling you what your future is going to be. If you'll cooperate with me, you'll be used to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Okay? <laughs> Don't you know right now as we're sitting here, there were thousands of Israelis that are praying the same thing? Deliver us from the Midianites. Deliver us from the Philistines. Deliver us from the Gazans. Deliver us from Hamas. What do you think he's going to do? Amen. Next verse. So he said to him, oh, Lord, how can I save Israel? And again, I don't even want to spend time on this. It's one excuse after the other. Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. In other words, you could have picked somebody else. Uh, I'm from the weakest tribe. I'm from the smallest family. And in my family, uh, they don't have too much confidence in me. Okay? You got it? And the Lord said to him, surely, here, second time now. So, you know, it kind of gets serious when God's got to talk to you twice. Second time now, Jesus says to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Do you remember? Let's fast forward to the Gospels. Jesus says to them, let's get in the boat. We're going to the other side. Do you remember the story? How many remember the story? Okay. What did he say to them? We're going where? To the other side. He said to him, we're going to the other side. He didn't say, let's get in the boat and let's see if we can get to the other side. He said, we are going. So as far as Jesus was concerned, they're going to the other side. Now, you know the story. Storm, in fact, in the original language, it says a supernatural motivated storm sweeps down on the lake. How do we know it was supernatural? Because you got a boat full full of fishermen, and they're scared. You catching this? And they're scared. These guys, this is how they make their living. They spend three quarters of their life in boats on that lake. And the storm was so different and so demonic that it scared veterans. So we know this is not just a natural storm, okay? And so what happens? They have to wake Jesus up. Don't you care that we're perishing? Wait a second. I said we're going to the other side. Did Jesus say we're going to try to get to the other side? Did Jesus say we're going to the other side, but we're going to perish in the middle because the storm's going to hit us? No, Jesus said we're going to the other side. When he tells you you're going from point A to point B, don't get shaken if a storm appears between point A and point B. He said you're going to the other side. He said you're going to the other side. He didn't say there wasn't going to be any difficulties. He didn't say there wasn't going to be any challenges. In fact, what's the use of him calling us overcomers if there's nothing to overcome okay so he's telling he's telling Gideon look uh, I'm going to be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man in other words I'm going to empower you and I'm going to work such a miracle through you that no matter how big that army is it's going to be like you're fighting one person okay you got it is that the last verse here yes okay so oh do we want to go here Yeah, we have to. You remember last week we talked about Abram? Two people remember. Remember last week that we talked about Abraham? Romans chapter 4, verse 19. I'm going to stick close to my notes. I'm sticking close to my notes. I'm going to take them with me. (laughs) Talking about Abraham now. How many of you remember Abraham's life? A couple of people. Okay, the rest of us need to start reading our Bibles. 
and not being weak in faith. Okay, what was the temptation to be weak in faith about? God said to Abraham, you're gonna have a son. When he said that to Abram, Abram is 75 years old. Do I have to go any further? Okay. His wife is almost the same age. And it tells us in scripture that she passed the age of childbearing. So if this is going to happen, <laughs> it's going to be a miracle. Okay. So now 25 years are going by. And for 25 years, Abraham had to constantly encourage himself, had to constantly remind himself of the promise of God. There was plenty of opportunity to grow weak in faith, but he didn't grow weak in faith. Now, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old at that point, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Are you listening? In other words, what is he saying? What is he saying? God spoke a promise to Abram. Abram cannot look at the natural surroundings. He cannot look at the natural circumstances. He can't look at the fact that his body is, is 100 years old. Um, Sarah's right there with him. Uh, again, okay? He could not, you can't. There's sometimes God speaks things to you, and you can't look at the natural circumstance. Because the natural circumstance is never going to match up to what God tells you. Because if God tells you something that you can accomplish naturally in your own strength, it wasn't God. It wasn't God, okay? So, next verse. He did not waver at the promise of God. And sometimes God will tell us to do things, and it's very easy to waver and go, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know who's going to pay for it, and how's that going to come to pass, and all these other things. Are you listening? Yes. Okay. He did not waver at the promise of God through what? Unbelief. Now, let me ask you this question. Who's responsible for unbelief? We are. I know the enemy is, but we don't have to listen to the enemy. So faith is a choice that you make. You choose either believe or you choose not to believe. You, you getting this? Okay. Stay out of unbelief. Sometimes you just got to blind yourself and you just go, no, God said he's going to do this, and that's it. God said he's going to do this. Okay. God said, people will say to you, uh, okay, uh, is, your, is all your family born again? And you start thinking, oh my God, no, there's no way this one's not going to get pointing. This one's not going to be saved. Stop that. Stop that. When people, for many, many years, when people ask me, so are other people in your family born again? I would say, uh, not yes. yet, Amen. but they will be. Amen. Okay? You, you listen, you got a promise. If, if, uh, um, Acts chapter 16. Don't have time to go to it. Write it down. Acts chapter 16. Go read it. There's a promise there. There's a promise there that God will do everything possible to make sure that your family comes into the kingdom of God. Now, you still got to bring the gospel to them, but that's a promise from God, okay? So now, now if you keep saying, oh, no, this one will never, no, they'll never get it. Honey, it's the worst one in your family that will probably be the first one to fall. Okay, now you keep looking at the outside, you keep looking at the outside, you keep looking at the outside. Don't look at the outside. Look at the promise of God. God said to Abram, when you get tempted to doubt, go outside. If it's nighttime, look up. Look at all the stars. Okay? He said, if you can count the stars, that's the amount of your descendants. If it was daytime, he'd go out of his tent and he'd look at the sand. Why? Because God said, I'm going to make your descendants more than the sand on the seashore. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to keep ourselves built up in faith. Are you listening to me? The circumstances are not going to line up without you staying in faith. 
That was a, that was a weak amen. amen. He did not waver the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. When we're strengthened in faith, we give glory to God. Doubt and unbelief does not give glory to God. When we stay in doubt and unbelief, what we're really saying is, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. And that's what the Israelites did. Even though they saw the Red Sea split. Even though they saw him bring manna from heaven. Even though they saw him give them supernatural provision for two and a half million people. Back up even more. They saw God destroy the gods of Egypt. They were there. They were there. They saw the flies. They saw the water turn to blood. They saw the fire coming from. They saw all these things. Yet when they got in the wilderness, they forgot about it all and went into doubt and unbelief. See, they weren't ignorant. See, when a person's ignorant, now you know ignorant doesn't mean stupid, right? Ignorant means lacking knowledge. Okay, when, when somebody's not lacking knowledge, God will meet them where they're at. But the Israelites knew better. They saw with their own eyes. Okay, you, you're listening to me? And they chose to distrust God. When you choose to distrust God, when God has already shown you who he is, you now go into doubt and unbelief and it does not glorify God. And that's why out of the two and a half million people, only two people stuck with God. Okay, we don't want to be that. We don't want to be that. We don't want to be that guy, right? All right, so uh, go to verse 21 and we'll finish this part. And being fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was also able to perform. Next verse. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is, this is the cornerstone of our salvation. We don't go to heaven. We're not, we don't become children of God. We don't spend eternity with him because we're good people. I know this is a tough one to swallow. We don't, have, we, don't go into, we don't come into a relationship with God because we gave all our money away. We're feeding the poor. We're doing that, none of that stuff matters when it comes to salvation. We, we, we need to do that stuff after we receive salvation as a byproduct of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. We, we receive the nature of God, and that's, of course, the nature of God wants to provide people's needs, wants to heal people, wants to relieve the suffering of people's lives. But that's not a way to attain salvation. Those are the works we do because we have salvation. So how do we come into this relationship with God? I can't earn it. I can't pay for it. No matter how many tap dances I do in front of God, it's not going to matter. Why? Because we come into relationship with God by faith. It releases the grace of God for us to receive salvation. Are you getting this? Yes. Real quick, God has the grace, right? God's full of grace. He's gracious. He's gracious. He's compassionate. Yes or no? Yes. Okay, so he's got grace. He placed faith in us. When we release faith, he releases grace. Okay? It's not something you can earn. It's all about believing. That's why the fall of Adam and Eve was so disastrous for mankind. Because what they did was they disconnected the faith that they had in God and they plugged it into the serpent. They plugged it into the devil. They trusted his words more than God's. And that was just treacherous. It was, they became traitors. They literally became traitors. And they brought disaster upon mankind. Okay, now I know they're in heaven right now going, oh, here we go again. Another one's going to criticize us. 
you know, but, and let's face it, if it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been us. We would have did the same thing. So now, so now Abraham believed God and God accounted it to him as what? Righteousness. Righteousness. So now Abram is put into a different position. He's put into the position of right standing. In other words, everything between God and Abraham was okay. God's not angry at Abraham. God's not holding any of his sins against him. Okay, that's what happens when you and I come into a relationship with God. Always gets quiet at this point. You are not going to earn salvation in your good deeds. You're not. It's impossible. It's it, absolutely impossible. Why is it impossible? It's impossible because if you and I could earn our salvation through good works, then Jesus Christ got a bum deal when he went to the cross. If we could earn it, then why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Are you getting this? He went to the cross and he took all of our sin, all of it, upon himself and became the sacrifice that God received. That's why, you remember when John the Baptist saw him come down the road? What did John the Baptist call him? Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. That lamb. Everything, all the sins went on that lamb. And Isaiah said, and by his wounds we are healed. Amen? You got this? So now watch. Now, in King James Version, where it says here that... Abram didn't waver at the promise of God. King James, original King James, old-fashioned English language, uses the word stagger. He did not stagger at the promise of God. He didn't stagger at the promise of God. But he grew strong in faith. And because of his faith, God positioned him as righteous. In other words, his sins are forgiven, his past is forgiven, He's in, in the eyes of God, it's as if he never sinned. When you and I come to Christ and we receive him as our Lord and Savior, and we put our faith in the fact that, yes, he did go to the cross on our behalf, uh, he bore the cross that you and I should have bore, when we put our faith in that, and we get what, what Jesus himself said, we become born again, our spirit comes alive unto him, okay? Then God sees us and sees you and I as justified, as as declared righteous, okay? Staggered, to lurch, to walk. In other words, Abram didn't go, oh, no, this is impossible. This can never happen. No, it's too good to be true. No, it, he didn't stagger at those things. If anything, he resisted thinking that way. And because he did that, not only was he declared righteous by God, but the promise that God made to him of having a son at 100 years old came to pass. His name is Isaac. Actually, his name is Yitzhak. Laughter. That's a whole other story. You can read about it in Genesis. All right, good. So we can move on. Well, we're getting there. So let me ask you this question right now. It says that Abraham was, did not allow himself to be astonished, amazed, startled, astounded, bewildered, stunned, flabbergasted. There's one you don't hear all the time. Literally means to stop someone in their tracks and to stupefy. When God said to him, you're going to have a son. It's going to come from your body and Sarah's body. You're going to have a son. Uh, Abram didn't, he didn't stagger. He, didn't, he wasn't stunned. He wasn't stupefied. He chose. Even though, even though his emotions are saying, you're out of your mind. This is not going to happen. 
but from his heart, he allowed faith to rise up and said, I don't care how bad my body is, I don't care what it looks like, I don't care how long it hasn't happened, I am believing God. Now let me ask you a question. What are you facing right now that's causing you to stagger? Think about it. What are you facing right now that is causing you to stagger? Is there something that you've been believing God for? Is there something that God has spoken to you personally in your heart that he's going to do on your behalf or he wants to use you in a specific way or whatever, a career he's going to launch you into, uh, a ministry, uh, a vocation, a profession, some major healing in your body? What are you facing right now that, you have, that you're tempted to stagger and go, I-, I don't know that that ever can happen? Think about it. Think about it. If God could allow a couple who's 100 years old to literally conceive a child, then what the heck is so difficult about what you're facing in your life? Same God. And guess what? According to the scriptures, we're the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith. So if we're under him, if God considers us, even though we're not Jewish, we're non-Jewish. Our blood, our DNA is not Jewish. Doesn't, come, doesn't directly come from Abraham. Some of us might. But for the most part, the majority of us are not in that group. But yet we're called that we've been engrafted into that same olive tree. The olive tree always representative of the nation of Israel. He grafted us in. He, 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 it, it cost, because I'm telling you, symbolically speaking, I believe when, when that Roman soldier shoved that spear in Jesus' heart, that's when the church was born. We got in. Water and blood poured out. But it was an opportunity for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, to come in to where? The body of Christ. Who is the body of Christ? You don't sound too confident. Who is the body of Christ? You listening? All right. Can we move on now? Do not limit God to what you have or to what you can imagine or what you can do. That is a huge mistake. Do not limit God. If God's, even, if, even if you're at the point, even if you're at the point where you're really not 100% that you can believe him, keep your mouth shut. Somebody got it. Keep your mouth shut. Don't ever agree with your feelings and don't ever agree with the enemy. Because the enemy, the enemy of your soul okay, is speaking into your ears. And it will always speak doubt and unbelief. The only language he knows. He is the master of deception. Jesus called him the father of lies. He can't tell the truth if he wanted to. He doesn't have it in him. Okay? So when, when a challenge comes or when an opportunity comes, don't let your ears hear your mouth say, oh, I don't believe that could ever happen. Why? Because your words have power. And there's power in agreement. When we agree with the word of God, it'll come to pass. If we start agreeing with the lies and the feelings and the emotions and everything else, that's what took the Israelites 40 years to get to the border of the promised land. You getting this? Bad report comes in, you go to the doctors. Doc, I don't know what it is, I feel something here or whatever. And the doctor does tests and stuff like this. 
Okay, and they come with a bad report. What are you going to say? You're not going to say, well, doctor, no. Doctor, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Because the fact is, he's telling you what you're dealing with. Now, by the same token, I believe that Jesus took this sickness upon himself at the cross, according to Isaiah 53, and in the New Testament, 1 Peter 2.24. So, so the fact that you're seeing in the natural doc, I, I understand. However, there is a truth that supersedes this fact. And that truth is, by his wounds, I am healed. Because according to the scriptures, and listen to me, get this deep down inside. Because at some point in your life, you're good, you're good, the doctor's going to tell you something that's not good news. You've got to have this sealed in your heart that Jesus himself, 700 years before he went to the cross, Isaiah the prophet had a vision and saw this man crucified. And saw and understood that all the sin of the world would be put upon that man. And understood, because if you read it in the original, if you've got a good Bible, when you read Isaiah 53, when it says uh, griefs and sorrows, the original language is pain and sicknesses. And he took upon himself all of our sickness and disease. And by his wounds, we are healed. Peter, who lived through the situation and knew that Jesus went to the cross, knew that Jesus on the cross literally fulfilled 100% the prophecy that was written 700 years before, understood, okay, I'm living in the generation that that's actually come to pass. So when he writes his letter to the church, he says, and by his stripes or by his wounds, we were healed. We're healed. Are you getting this? Because how you're going to navigate through a challenge is going to be determined by the words that you speak. I don't have time to go further with that. We've got to finish this tonight. Okay. Because you're either going to agree with the circumstance or you're going to agree with the word. You listening? You're either going to agree with the circumstance or you're going to agree with the word. And the circumstance almost never lines up with God until you speak what God says about the circumstance. All right, we'll we'll have to go in depth on this another time, okay? Stop saying, well, this stuff runs in my family. When somebody says that, I say, let it keep running. Let it keep running. Because somebody's got to break the cycle. Somebody, listen, look at me. Somebody's got to break the cycle. Stop saying stuff like, well, my family's never been successful. We've never had any money. We've never prospered. We've always been poor. What are you, why are you? Well, pastor, it's true. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be true about you. You say what God says about you. He said, David, the prophet, David, the psalmist said, I was young and now I'm old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. You getting this? That's a promise from God. Okay? He said, the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle John, Beloved, I pray above all things that you would be in health and prosper and prosper even as your soul prospers. So our soul prospers. The more we know about what God says about a situation, the more our soul can prosper. Okay? Okay? 
We're gonna have to talk about this a lot because God's really been showing me and dealing with me a lot about the soul lately. A lot about the soul. We pay too much attention to spiritual things. Oh, that didn't come out right. <laughs> As opposed to placing emphasis on the soul. I'm gonna say this and then we're gonna move on because the, time, the clock keeps going. I feel like I'm at the football game and the <laughs> clock keeps running. Okay. When you got born again, when you said from a place of faith in your heart, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that God raised him from the dead and he's alive right now. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Your spirit came alive. Man, we're spending a lot of time on this lately. You and I, whether saved or unsaved, whether, whether having received Christ or not, are still triune in nature. Amen. Triune has how many parts? Three. Good, you guys had your Latin lesson at some point in your life. Okay, we are spirit, we possess a soul, and they live in a body. Now, when we get born again, it's our spirit that gets affected. Our spirit, which was dead in sin, comes alive unto God. And the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in our spirit. Okay? So our spirit. So when you die, your spirit goes to heaven. Your spirit is with Christ. Your spirit, we're going we're gonna to live eternally with God. Okay? Now, there's only one problem. I still have a soul that is very connected to this atmosphere and to this world. Very connected to the five senses, very much impacted by the five senses. That's the area that we have to work on. With the help of God, with the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, our soul has the opportunity to change. Are you listening? We're talking about living life without limits. Your limits are not coming from your body. Of course, as we get older, you know, it's not coming from your spirit. Your spirit is not limiting you from anything. Your spirit, my spirit, has unlimited potential. Whatever God tells us to do in the realm of the spirit, we can do it. Our soul is where we get, where we get hung up. Because our soul now is the product of hurts, wounds, betrayals, hardship, successes, fulfilled dreams, unfulfilled dreams, disappointments, victories. All of these things make up who you are. That's why, have you ever, have you ever had somebody you were very close to them and you don't see them for years and then you get back in touch with them and you go, oh my God, you're not the same person you were. Well, neither are you. Why? Because 5, 10, 20 years went by. Your soul picked up a lot of junk during that. And if you're not careful, if you don't clean out the filter once in a while, that's why, um, let me turn around when I say this, because it, it's inevitable somebody's going to say, well, you looked at me when you said that. That's why we come across older people, seniors, older, older, that are so bitter and miserable and cynical and just, you don't even want to be around them because that soul has accumulated so much garbage and then you blend in unforgiveness and, and grudges and all this other kind of stuff. And Are you listening to me? Yes. So the word of God exists for our soul to be 
rejuvenated, to be regenerated, to be transformed, to start thinking different. Because when we're thinking different, we're going to speak different. When we speak different, we're going to conduct ourselves differently. Because everything, is, as much as we don't believe it sometimes, everything starts here. Well, I said, person, they always act without thinking. No, nah, it's physically impossible. It might seem that way, but it's physically impossible. We think about something, we start talking about it, and then we do it. Yes or no? Okay, so now Gideon, Gideon's soul is polluted with, I can't catch a break. My family's cursed. We, we never, our family never succeeds. I'm the, uh, my family's the least in all the tribes of Israel. Uh, we're the smallest of the tribes, and in that tribe we're the smallest family, and in that family I'm the runt. His soul has been repeating this over, how do we know that? Because as soon as Jesus shows up and calls him mighty man of valor, he goes into his rehearsed skit. Do you ever meet people like that? Do you ever meet people, you meet people the worst thing you could ask them is how you're doing? <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. What, Just, here we go, boom, they click. And the tape recorder starts. Well, when I was five years old, and when I was 10 years old, and when I was 15 years old, and when I was 20 years old, and my first wife, and my second wife, and my third wife, and my fourth wife, and this boss, and that boss, and my teacher in high school, and, and my neighbor down the street. And, oh, my God. And you're there like, dear God, please take me home right now. <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? What is that? That is a person whose soul is so weighed down and loaded with junk. And Gideon does this. Thank God that Jesus didn't say, oh, my me, I can't listen to this guy. I'm done. Let me go pick somebody else. Put one hand up right now and say, thank God. Put one hand up right now and say, thank God for the mercy of God. Because it's God's mercy that he didn't leave Gideon in the wine press and go, forget this guy, I'm going to go find somebody else. God's mercy. So let's, hap- let's see what happens now. All right, let's go back to Judges chapter 7, verse 2. Now, what happens? Gideon decides to listen to the angel of the Lord, and he puts out a call to Israel for everybody to arm themselves and to come and meet him because they're going to go kick the Midianites' butt, okay? And all these people respond and come, Okay? Because when, oh, when you start stepping into the plan of God for your life, guess what? You start attracting people that think like you. Because yes. people want to be part of a cause. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself. In other words, you got too many. When you win this battle, you're going to think you did it in your own strength. So he says to him, Uh, they'll be saying, my own hand has saved me. Verse three. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead, from that physical geographic location, okay? And look at this. He's got 30,000 showed up. But as soon as he issues this statement, what happens? And 22,000 people returned. You listening? Honestly, thank God that happened now. Otherwise, that 22,000 would have failed him on the battlefield. You getting this? 
You better find out who's with you and who's not with you. Say it again. If you're going to accomplish anything great, you better find out who's really with you and who's not with you. Because you cannot accomplish things on your own. Amen? Amen? All right, next verse. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, 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 no we're, no, we're not doing this. Watch this now. How, this is such genius. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whoever I say, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. In other words, I'm going to put your army together. They're not going to come because you're so charismatic. They're not going to come because there's a cause. They're going to come because they're divinely appointed to be part of your battle. Are you listening to me? Yes. All right, let's see what happens next. Verse 5. So he brought the people down to the water. Now there's 10,000 at this point. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. Next verse. And the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. Uh, all you young guys back there, Ryan, Keith, uh, so I don't know your name, Nicholas. Could you come up here real quick? Come on, come on, come on, come on. We don't have a lot of time. You only got seven minutes left. I'm not going to embarrass you. The rest of the posse back there. Come up here, you guys. What, what, I know I just met a few of you guys before service. Come on, come on. Don't just look at me. Come on. Come on, got Rock, Rocco. Get them up here. Go on that side. Now, get on your knees. There's a stream. There's a street. There's a lake in front of you. Okay? There's a lake. You guys over here on this side. Now. Oh my God, there's so many of you. This blesses me. When I see young guys coming to church on a Wednesday night, blesses me. And and one young lady. Can you get down on your knees? Okay. So now, can you see back there? If you have to stand up, stand up. Now, let me ask you this question. If you are just looking down into the water, what are you going to say? Yourself. Now you're thirsty, right? So now, if you don't have any willpower, and if you're not alert and sharp and realize that the enemy wants to take you out, and you're so thirsty, you're just going to, like a dog, just... <sighs> but can you... Again, you guys are dogs. Again. <laughs> just get down here and just lap up the water. There you go. Now, you guys are smart. Stay there. Keep lapping the water. Now, you guys are smart. You know there's an enemy over the hill that wants to kill you. But you're thirsty. How are you going to drink? What are you doing? You're watching to see what's coming. Okay, do it. Keep your, keep your head up. Bring the water up to you. You're not, now watch now. What are you not seeing? You're not seeing your reflection. Your eyes are not on yourself. Symbolically speaking, you're not looking to your own strength. 
You're being alert. You're being smart. You're being wise. You're ready for the fight. You're ready because you know God's on your side. And so you're thirsty, but you're like this. Are you seeing this? Yes. You seeing this? Come on, drink. <laughs> Come on. These guys here, they're as good as dead. <laughs> Why? Because they're only, they're, they're, oh my God, I don't want to say this because I don't want to speak this over. They're self-absorbed. Now, I don't mean that in the natural. But they're caught up with their own reflection. So they're focused on their own ability, their own might, their own power, their own, their own plans. You can stand up now, guys. You getting this? Yes. So, so Jesus says, I want these guys. The angel of the Lord says, I want all these guys who picked up the water and put it. Why? They're alert. They're not focused on themselves. Are you getting this? Yes. They're not so absorbed. They're not worrying about that they're the smallest clan and the smallest tribe. And out of that tribe and out of that family, they're the weakest ones. No. Because their, their eyes are on the Lord. They know if this battle is going to get won, it's going to get won because God's going to be with them. Yeah. Are you listening? Yeah. How do you want to go through life? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Somebody should have took a picture. Did anybody take a picture when they were up there? Somebody should have taken a picture. You got one? Send it to me. How do you want to go through life? Because as long as your face is there and you're self-absorbed and you're focused on yourself and you're focused on your own abilities and you're focused on your own bank account and you're focused on your own education and you're focused on your own might, you're going to be limited with what you can accomplish in life. But if you keep your eyes on God, keeping your eyes on his promises, bring to yourself what you need without getting caught up in yourself. You step into the land without limitations. You getting this? Yes. Now, there may be some of us in this room that it is a fact that your family has had issues and problems and, and all kinds of drama and all kinds of junk and all kinds, and nobody maybe really ever succeeded. And it's just one dysfunction after another, but it doesn't have to continue in your life. You can say, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I've been born again, Amen. okay? I, I'm in a different bloodline now. Yes. I, am, I have the DNA of God in my veins and in my cells, yes. and, and I have his promises that have been made to me personally. Yes, I'm sorry that my family ended up that way, and, and if they're still around, and maybe God's going to use you to change some things in there, but do not let that junk affect your generation and the next generation. It stops here. Don't do what Gideon did. Jesus issued him a challenge. The first thing he did was go into that whole skit. Why, why it can't work. Moses tried that. God told him, I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh. I'm going to, you're going to tell him, let my people go. And Moses started with the excuses. Well, I, 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 I stutter. I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm not this and I'm not that. Let me tell you something. That 40 years that he spent in the wilderness, he forgot who he was. 
Because the fact of the matter is, history tells us, you know, Hollywood doesn't, I've never seen a Hollywood production yet go back to the truth. Because the fact of the matter is, you remember that Pharaoh's daughter found him in in the river. In that little straw basket, right? And she took him into her household. He was raised in the palace. And the Roman historian, well, it was a Jewish historian that wrote a history of the Jews for the Romans, says, and you go read it for yourself, go look up Josephus, first century historian. He says that Moses was the commander of the armies of Egypt when they defeated the Ethiopians. This wasn't some schlep come out of the desert. He, he was known as a master engineer. They got that part right. Cecil B. DeMille in that movie with Charlton Heston got that part right, okay? He's an engineer. This guy was raised to be brilliant. But then through his 40 years of disappointment, he forgot who he was. The fact of the matter is, even in his natural self, he was capable of leading them out of Egypt. But he had to submit himself to God. He had to submit himself, and he got to the point where he didn't lean at all on his own understanding. In all his ways, he acknowledged God, Proverbs chapter 3, so that God could direct his path. Are you listening to this? Who shall I say sent me? I am that I am. Tell you this last story and we're done, okay? We're in Bible school, 1995 to 97 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We completed first year. You have off for the summer. In September, we're going back to school. Something happened to me during that time. I slipped. I I began to lose the grasp of why we were there. I began to, it almost seemed like it got hidden in the shadows that God had said to me in, in the spring of 95 that you're going to go to Bible school, you're going to come back to Bricktown, you're going to start a church here in Brick. It was so real to me. But somehow in that summertime, I don't know what happened. Maybe it was the heat in Oklahoma, I don't know. (laughs) I started to lose sight of that. Okay. The first week when you go back for the second year at Rhema Bible College, now they call it, they have a series of meetings throughout the the week. Every day you go there, there's prayer, there's worship, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Kind of like a pep rally, if you want to put it that way. I had said to my wife in the morning, we can't do this. Let's just go back to New Jersey. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't have it in me anymore. I just don't. That was that morning. Pastor Cap was there that day. Okay. So we go to this assembly. Probably, Cap would just say 1,200 people there. Well, that year we were going, it was one of the highest attending years back then. So there's about 1,200 people in this auditorium. And the pastors of the pastor of the church, which was Brother Kenneth Hagan's son, Kenneth Hagan, his wife is up on the platform, and she's preaching. And she stops, and she's preaching about Abraham, excuse me, Moses. And she stops, right? To this day, I get the chills. And she yells. And she talked about people like losing the vision. And, and she stops and she yells, Joe, 
I am that I am has sent you. And I just collapse, man, just crying like a baby. I run down. I mean, this is a big church. It fits seven, 8,000 people in this church. I run down to the front and just get on my knees and just repent of God. I don't know who Mary was, but Mary was having the same problem because next she goes, Mary, I am that I am has sent you. And that was it. There was no turning back after that. No turning back after that. God knows where you are. I don't mean just physically. I mean, God knows where you are in your soul right now. He doesn't toss us aside. He meets us where we're at. He extends his mercy. He extends his grace to us. Why? Because he sees the finished product. He doesn't see the work in progress. He said to Gideon, the man who was a coward, you mighty man of valor. He called him what he was going to make him into. Are you listening to me? Stand up, everybody. going to do this real quick. One hand up to the Lord. Everybody in this room, one hand up to the Lord. I want you to say this with me. Father, Father, in the name of Jesus, Jesus, I ask you to deal with my soul. I ask you to deal with my heart to help me me remove every limitation, every every obstacle, every every hindrance hindrance to fulfilling your plan for my life. I will not resist you. I will not not block you. I I give you permission permission to deal with my heart. heart. In Jesus' name, name. amen. 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 God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. If not, we'll see you next Tuesday night. Next Tuesday night for the worship night. What night? What night? Tuesday. Tuesday.